Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. Food security affects our strength as a nation. I think this country would be so much better if we just did the right thing. And, and unfortunately, the truth is it's hard to do the right thing because of all this political stance and lobbying and all that stuff. But I think if everybody gave something of themselves, it would be a whole different world we'd live in. We're in Boston today, and I am with Jason Santos, an extraordinary chef and restaurateur who's got uh, restaurants here that include Abbey Lane, Back Bay Harry's, and Buttermilk and Bourbon. That's um, it. Which I often call buttermilk and biscuits because yeah. the biscuits are about the best biscuits you've ever eaten <laughs> anywhere enough. in your I'll life. Take that. But it's buttermilk and bourbon. Jason, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched. Uh, and Michael Brown, who I've known for, gosh, as well as long as I've known Jason, maybe even a little bit longer, 25, almost 30 years. Michael is the co-founder and the CEO of City Year, Harvard Law grad, Harvard undergrad, um, had clerked, I think, for Judge Breyer, who's now on the That's Supreme right. Court, uh, had worked for Leon Panetta, who once ran the CIA. Uh, you weren't with him when he was at the CIA, but Not when he was then. a congressman. But uh, an entire life devoted to public service and to the public good. So, Mike, Michael, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Billy. Um, I want to talk about a, a bunch of things with you guys. But one of the things that's on my mind, because it goes right to the intersection of, of what I think you two represent and what we do at Share Our Strength. Just two days ago, I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, having lunch with uh, the author John Grisham, who has become a very generous supporter of Share Our Strength. He's actually quite a philanthropist. His wife, John, and his wife, Renee, are very committed to philanthropy, and very quiet and understated about it. Um, but one of the reasons that we got together is he's from Mississippi, where he felt he grew up seeing a lot of poverty and a lot of hunger. Didn't surprise him in Mississippi. Then he moved to North Carolina and then to um, um, Virginia. And he has a daughter who teaches in North Carolina in public schools. She's 25 years old. And one of the things he told me and the reason he got interested in our work was that uh, he said she makes a modest teacher salary. And he and his wife, Renee, probably spent as much as her salary buying food and supplies for her classroom because she called them up and she said, Mom and Dad, these kids haven't eaten. I don't know how to teach these kids when they haven't eaten. So this is something, uh, Michael, I know that you're very focused on because City Year has focused its work in schools and you're particularly focused on graduation rates and high school graduation rates. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, City Year's evolution because that's not where City Year began. It's been, it, it was created as a kind of a service opportunity for young people to do great things in the community, but now it's become very focused around this objective of helping kids like the kids that John Grisham's uh, and Renee Grisham's daughter is teaching do better in school. That's right. I, I started City Year at this point 28 years ago with my college roommate, uh, Alan Casey, because I spent a year on Capitol Hill working for Leon Panetta when he was a member of Congress. He turned me on to the idea of voluntary national service, calling on Americans when they're young to give a year of service for their community and their country and all the things it would do for them, turning them into active citizens and turning on their justice nerve, and what it would do for the country in terms of a multi-billion dollar service resource and even help uh, complete the civil rights movement by having people come together from all backgrounds to build a nation together. And we started off, as you said, as a general service corps here in Boston and began to spread out across the country, first with private money, and then with the advent of AmeriCorps, 
Um, we were able to grow it into cities across the country, basically saying to communities, how do you want to utilize young people who are full-time and uniform and idealistic in any kind of nonprofit initiative, uh, building community gardens and running after school programs? But 10 years ago, we stepped back and asked how we could have even more of an impact and how we could all sort of aggregate and scale. And we decided to concentrate entirely in high poverty schools, elementary, middle, and high schools in urban communities and really try to go to the high schools that have the lowest graduation rates and the elementary middle schools that feed into them. So what we do is we send these tremendously idealistic young people who are ages 18 to 25. They usually get up at like five in the morning before the sun. They put on a city or uniform in this red jacket and they head as a team into these schools and they literally greet every single student at the schoolhouse steps. So if you can imagine being clapped for every time you came to work and what the, by 10 people who are cheering your name as you come in, that just says, hey, we know who you are. We're glad you're here. And that builds attendance and resilience. And then we go into the schools and we serve as full-time tutors, mentors, and role models because what we found and what many people have found, of course, is that high poverty schools need more than even a wonderful teacher in front of as many as 30 more students. They need what we're calling student success coaches, near-peer young people who can really hone in on the kids that are falling behind, mentor them, and tutor them on math and English. There's a study that Johns Hopkins University did that found that if you are behind in attendance, behavior, or course performance, even one of those indicators in the sixth grade in a high-poverty community like here in Boston, you have less than a 20% chance of graduating six years later with your class. Now, who among us would think of our children in the sixth grade, there's six year, there's a 20% odds of that. And so what we're trying to do is change those odds. Um, and you mentioned you know, food. What we try to do is make sure that we're part of the solution, just one part of it, that says that students are ready to learn. So they're in school and they're ready to learn. And obviously, as you know, more than anyone in the country, Billy, with the incredible work of Share Our Strength and um, No Child Hungry, um, is, No Kid Hungry, is that part of being ready to learn is not being hungry and really being food secure. Um, and one of the things that um, I would say is one of the most successful federal programs in American history is the school lunch program. Uh, on a daily basis, uh, it's providing over 30 million children with school lunches. And over the last, uh, uh, just the last year alone, I think it's 5 billion meals have been served. And I saw the statistic, it's staggering. Over a quarter trillion meals have been served uh, to the school lunch program since its inception. And it's critical, it's one critical element for ensuring that students are ready to learn. And, and speaking of its inception, you know, the school lunch program started when admirals and generals came to Congress after World War II to say our recruits were not strong enough at the end of the war. This was their idea. And Congress said, we get it. You know, the war lasted what, five, six years. And uh, there were young people serving that uh, had malnutrition that were not strong. And if you juxtapose that to today, where we're involved in military activity everywhere from Syria and hopefully not Korea, but potentially Korea and lots of other places around the world, you could see why uh, this program is as relevant now as it, as it was then. Um, 
Now, Jason, I want to get you into this conversation sure. because first I want to ask you, do, do your employees, as Michael was talking about, people clapping when you come to work, do your, all your employees They uh, don't, but however, the if they want to start, I'm certainly happy to come in early That, that wouldn't day. be a bad feeling, would it? <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't quite had that either. It works. That would be nice. I want to work on that next. Um, but Jason, food's been, a, you know, it's been a big part of your life from the beginning. You, I think you've like finished a culinary arts program by the time you were 19, Yeah, which is I mean, I've amazing. been involved in Share Strength for 22 years. For 22 you know? years, because we first met when you were at Andy Husband's right, restaurant, right. Tremont 647. Yeah. So I, I started with Share Strength 22 years ago. I was 19 years old. I was like a young cook, fresh out of college. I worked for Andy Husbands. And as your boss, and he says, do something, you say, yes, yeah, chef, you know. So Andy was very involved at the time. And he said, I think that would be something that you'd, you'd really enjoy. And for me, ironically, I consider myself sort of a selfish person in the sense that I work a lot. I do a lot. I don't have a lot of time for myself. So I'm very choosy in what I do for fun or for, you know, charity, whatever. And, and, for me, the number one reason why I think I stuck with it is I saw instant gratification, like immediate satisfaction on what I gave. I, I got back tenfold. So that's what made me really have the legs with this, you know, this amazing organization and stuff like that. But so I started teaching at the time was Operation Frontline. And yeah, I, which is our, our nutrition education. Right. Yeah. So I, I taught class after class. I mean, I think I'm taught 17 classes or something like that in wow. the first handful of years and, you know, very fast got really into it. And I remember um, a little story that was fantastic, which I don't think you even know, Billy, is when I, I won Chef of the Year for Share Strength when the um, Conference of Leaders was in Boston. Yep. And I was up with, you know, Danny Meyer and all these amazing people. And I was like, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to a chance of winning this. So, you know, I had a couple of drinks or hanging out and then I heard my name called. And as I was going up to the stage, something flew in my eye. And it started to tear up. So I was on stage, not expecting to win anything, had to come up with this speech tearing down my face. And everybody <laughs> thought it was amazing that I was crying. And really, it wasn't. But um, it's just I've been hooked ever since. And I think the, the crazy thing for me is that food when I was younger was an issue. But as I got older and got into the culinary world, you know, I never have to worry about food. I have three restaurants. It's just something that I don't have to think about. However, there's a certain level of guilt for me when I do eat because I know that I can have what I want when I want. And there are people out there that don't know when their next meal is. So that that is a, a passion of mine to try to fix in my lifetime. Um, so it's just something that's near and dear to my heart. You know, it's like I, I make cold food hot for a living. You know, it's not that glamorous. There's people <laughs> splitting the atom and curing cancer. What I do, I think, in the long run is not as important, but I have to do my part into helping fix something that in 2017 still blows me away that it's such a problem. Well, I'm glad you told that that story about cooking matters because that's a very labor intensive commitment. And, you know, Michael's whole life and career is about kind of the, you know, the Martin Luther King notion that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. And there's lots of things you could have done. You could have written a check. You could have you know, put a sign on your restaurant, but you actually rolled up your sleeves. I mean, set whatever it was, 17 courses yeah. that you taught. That's for a chef who's got to be in the kitchen and has all the demands that you have. I think it really affirms, Michael, that uh, everybody does have a strength to share. Everybody does have a way of, of serving. And you're seeing that with how many core members in how many cities? We've got uh, 3,100 city-year AmeriCorps members serving in 28 cities uh, every single day in 313 high-need schools. Just to stay on the service theme for a moment, Jason, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but one of the things I've heard a lot of people say, and I'm guessing it was probably true for you, is the work you did on the nutrition education program, Cooking Matters, once called Operation Frontline. I'm assuming that that was more fulfilling personally than just writing a check. I mean, been. precisely. And, 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 that's... I, and I want to know, what, like, tell us a little bit about what it felt like. And if you've got a 
story about a family that you worked with, if you can remember a, you know, a class you taught or a mom that you were with. I, you know, the, the, the awesome part about this is I have many stories because every class has been unique in its own way. And I think cooking matters. I think for me, like I said, when I was a younger cook, I was, you know, kind of arrogant. I just wanted to do things for myself. And I remember teaching my first class and it was a kid's class. And I remember at the end of the class, I had uh, a child come over to me and said, does this mean I'm a chef now? And mm. I just, I'll never forget that. It was, it was just humbling to hear. And it was that alone inspired me to want to do more. And then the next class I did, you know, I remember a mother saying, Hey, I've been saving up some money. We want to come into your restaurant when the class is over. And that inspired me to do my next class. And so every class, something was magical that went off and it just made me want to keep doing more and more. And then, you know, 16 classes later. And I think what is inspiring is that, you know, knowledge is power. And I think the more you can teach people and the more people are exposed to things, um, I think is what propels people. I mean, for me personally, like the best way for me to learn or get excited is to be exposed to something and learn something new. Um, Michael, this conversation that we're having, is this a, in this conversation about service, two questions, I guess. One is, is this a kind of a coastal phenomenon? Is this something that Harvard grads like yourself start and talk about, and it, 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 it works in New York and it works in, you know, Boston and, and LA, or is it something that can work everywhere? And what kind of threat is it under now? I know the new administration and President Trump's budget, um, I think has a, a, at least a plan, although the plans are fuzzy and they're more in outline form. Uh, but some of the analysis is that they plan to completely eliminate the AmeriCorps program. So talk about just, you know, whether in fact it does have universal appeal and, and how that connects to protecting and preserving the program. Absolutely. And as shared, it's it's really just part of the American spirit that the, the, the citizen soldier, it is um, really rolling up your sleeves. It's the barn raising. It's everything that Tocqueville talked about and more. It's ask not. It's at the very heart of our core as how we perceive ourselves as a nation, this idea of people serving. And um, when we started City Year, we began to talk to people of all political perspectives, and everybody likes the idea of young people giving a year of service. And when they basically came out of the woodworks to support it on your share our strength model from the beginning. And I've often shared with people that if you put yourself on this path of any kind of service, one of the things you're gonna do is meet amazing people. And I met you 25 years ago, Billy, and that's been extraordinary and all across the country now we've got people involved in building our 28 cities so we're in you know the midwest we're in um uh, we're in detroit we're in columbia south carolina we're in tulsa oklahoma we're in blue red and purple states there's no As, there's no place this camp work exactly and americorps is in every single state every single territory um it's um in indian lands it's everywhere and it's really heart and soul of this country now americorps is now 20 years old over a million Americans have dedicated uh, a period of service hmm. to AmeriCorps since 1994. AmeriCorps is literally a beloved institution, and it's a wise federal investment. Every dollar put into AmeriCorps is matched in many cases two or three, in our cases four to one. The grants have to be competed for. 80% of the money comes into the states, which gives it out to nonprofits, so it's no great bureaucracy that's being created. It's young people doing it for two one or two years. So it's really investing in sort of the, the sort of the muscle, the civic muscle of the country. And what we found over the years is that it's it's beloved by Democrats and Republicans. There have been some people that have said, well, they're more libertarian. And maybe they say these the government should be shrinking and it should be cutting things. Um, and yes, we were shocked to find about a month ago that President Trump in that skinny budget proposal he put out said that AmeriCorps should be completely zeroed out, which is just 
crazy given how um, how successful it's been. But we went to Capitol Hill and started talking to, for example, Roy Blunt, Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri, is in charge of the appropriations for AmeriCorps. Republican, and he's a Republican senator from Missouri. He deeply cares about it, and we've got a great program in Kansas City. Um, Congressman Tom Cole of Oklahoma, Republican, is in charge of the appropriations in the House on this. He is deeply committed to it. So, so is, this, is this a case where the budget cutters just, they don't really know what it is, they haven't seen it firsthand, they're not aware? Because And when you sit here and listen to him, Jason, I'm sure you're thinking the same thing, like, why in the world would right. you cut I mean, this program? It's a, it's a complete disconnect, and it's it irrelevant is. what you know party you're, you're into. Right. I mean, it's a human thing. It's not about politics at the end of the day exactly so we always say how can we help us ask people to come and visit a program and it doesn't have to be a city or program any americorps program ask people to come and visit it get members of congress get philanthropic leaders to come and see it so that people can really understand the kind of civic web that's being woven across the country and this is a time sensitive issue so i mean if people are listening to this podcast right now there is something that well, there they is something can they do, can do. They, can call, they can call their members of congress there's a you know, an 800 number, basically, you can call your member of Congress and just say, you care about AmeriCorps and don't cut it. And anytime you see a member of Congress or your senator to talk about this, we have to make things like this a voting issue. One of the questions I have, and I'm just really looking for advice on it, not for any preset answer. We've been talking about private efforts, whether it's cooking matter, share our strength, city year and AmeriCorps. Uh, and one of my questions is, are there ways that we need to, and, and we're all nonpartisan, or if we do anything at all, we're bipartisan, but are there ways that w without losing that, we need to get more political? Uh, not more partisan, but more political in terms of creating public will. I, I had this thing yesterday happen to me. I retweeted uh, a congresswoman who had said something about the importance of working with refugees. And somebody wrote back, a share of strength supporter, tweeted back, uh, time for me to find another organization. You're getting too political. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I'd said anything partisan or anything, but you know, these policies on a broad scale make our work either harder or easier. How do you think about that, Michael? How do you think about it, Jason? I think absolutely, and it's critical. The idea of just advocacy, education and advocacy for things that matter do not need to be and shouldn't necessarily be partisan. But they're political in the sense, with a small p, of like, we need to get involved in the process. So at City Year, together with us and Teach for America and Youth Build and other national service organizations, we created something called Voices for National Service, Coalition of National Service Organizations. And our mission is to build bipartisan, nonpartisan support for the federal investment in national service. And we've got a number of companies behind it, including Bank of America and Comcast, NBC Universal, and CSX, the freight train company. And their executives come so in. So they're not afraid of the political nature. No, because they talk to everybody and they say, we should all just agree on this. Let's be advocates for this. This helps build our communities. And by the way, all of our companies are putting in millions of dollars into these programs. So we're actually from the private sector leading the way and putting our money where our mouth is on this. And we're saying that the federal investment is you have to do your part too. So in some ways, by having the private sector lead on that, that can help sort of become a convener and get the, the public sector to say, okay, it's been pre-vetted, it's being supported by the private sector. And I think they have a critical role in that. And those companies I think are on the forefront and I want to just my hats off to them. And I want to say the water's fine. Come on in. You can do advocacy that will not be considered to be partisan. Uh, and, you know, what I say to any CEO, pick something. Pick something that's important to you, to your company, to how you do business, and become an advocate for it, a nonpartisan advocate. And it really doesn't matter so long as it's something that you and your company feel passionate about. 
You know, Lyndon Johnson was famous for bringing people together and compromising over uh, what he said, come to the office, let's talk about this over branch water and bourbon. So I'm wondering whether buttermilk and bourbon and the bar there would be a place to have some of these political conversations, you know, Jason. I, I, as a chef, it's like I sort of joke. I'm like, I'm just a simple guy. You know, I go to work, I go home. I'm, I'm not super political. You know, I'm, I'm registered independent and, and I vote for who's best. You know, it's I think that... It, the politics, I think, unfortunately, it, it's it's a real thing, and you really have to get behind that and pick what. You, but at the end of the day, like, why not just pick what's best? What's best for everybody, you know? And I think that's the beauty of democracy. Is you know, I joke in a restaurant. I say, in my restaurant, it's a dictatorship, and I'm the dictator. There's no democracy here. It's it's sort of my way. But at the end of the day, like, we sit, we'll talk about things. How can we make ourselves better? How can we do better? So I think just a conversation and I think the politics thing, I think it's unfortunate. You know, I, I think truly like screw politics. I think it stinks that, you know, Trump is willing to sign a signature and all of a sudden all these great things lose money. I think that's that's insane to me. It's there's a complete disconnect and there's so many layers to get to the proper person that by the time it gets there, it's convoluted. It's, it's you know, delusional on these things. And I just think if people just took a breath and and what's best, like what's best, it's irrelevant. I think this country would be so much better if we just did the right thing. And and unfortunately, the truth is it's hard to do the right thing because of all this political stance and lobbying and all that stuff. But I, it just, I try to stay out of it because I can't stand it, to be honest. Well, Michael, as you know, we used to, we used to think of politicians as citizen politicians, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't politicians. They were mm -hmm. citizens doing what's best, exactly what Jason's talking about. And the emphasis was on citizen, not on politician. Absolutely. In fact, when Harry Truman left the presidency, a reporter famously said, how does it feel to leave the highest office in the land? And he immediately shot back, no, I'm entering the highest office in the land, that of citizen. Sure. And one of the things that I always tell our city or AmeriCorps members, I always say, you guys are super legitimate. And they say, what do you mean by that? I say, you're in service. You're doing this for a small stipend. Sometimes I tease them, they only work half day. It's 12 hours. They're literally giving of themselves and sometimes more for this intense year of service. And they're in these high need schools. Obviously, in education reform, there's a lot of consternation. There's a lot of politics around that. But when they talk, they can just say, this is what's happening in these schools. This is what they're seeing. I say, people are going to listen to you because you're literally walking the path of service. And I've also said that it's been said many times, uh, not by me, but I repeat it, that if you put yourself on the path of service and you stay on it authentically, the path of service leads from service, from charity to justice. You put yourself on it to kind of help others, but ultimately it opens up what true justice is about. And that's why if we can mobilize more people to be in service, it can cut through some of the politics because people realize they just have this authentic experience to say, this is what kids need. And I'm not giving you a political spin on it. I'm telling you authentically what I've been doing for the last year. I believe, you know, if you if you do nice things for others, you know, or if you were to think, I think anybody, I would challenge anybody to think of, you know, top two or three experiences of your life. And I'm pretty sure they wouldn't involve money or politics. And I think giving is like a full circle thing. And it's, I think if everybody gave something of themselves, it would be a whole different world we'd live in. Well, that's a pretty good place to wrap up this conversation. The last thing I want to ask each of you is just what's next. Uh, you've both had incredible careers and you're both, uh, Still young and energetic and passionate, uh, Jason. Uh, you've got restaurants, you've got TV shows. What's yeah? Uh, what's I mean, uh, selfishly, I do have some retail products coming out. You can find a Target and Walmart soon. Oh, uh, really? No, well, yeah, I do. Us, I do they? have a, a line of sauces coming out in vinaigrettes that will be in pretty much. What's every, that going to be called? Um, that's going to be called Chef Jason Santos. You okay. know, it's a whole bunch. It's a line. It's uh, going to be five different skews: a white barbecue sauce, a barbecue syrup, a black onion vinaigrette, 
I'm sorry, black garlic vinaigrette. And so those will be in like Target, Walmart soon. And then I uh, next spring, I have this amazing, which I'm very excited for, only because it's a passion of mine is gardening. I have a, a really cool line coming to Williams and Sonoma and stuff of these um, potted herbs and planters and stuff that are really cool. So you can grow, you know, for instance, a chimichurri in your window and then there's recipes and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, a little bit of television and getting very successful. I'm engaged. I've been engaged for seven months. And I have yet to talk about a wedding because I've been so consumed by this restaurant. I'm also in trying to buy a house. So at some point, I would like to rest. Um, that's high on my list of next for me. But, you know, I, I love what I do. It's it's I, I'm blessed to be able to do what I love. And uh, I couldn't be happier. And, you know, to be able to get up and come to work is for me is is what it's it's what I work for. Well, fabulous. I'm, I'm excited to hear about uh, William Sonoma. They've become one of yeah, our biggest know, partners. They've been amazing. And we've got a great program with them where they actually uh, have they sell spatulas that are designed by people like Chrissy right. Teigen and um, um, Aisha Curry and Jeff Bridges and others, and uh, it's raised you know well over a million dollars yeah. a year. Uh, Michael, how about for you and City Year? So it, it, I agree with Jason. It's a privilege to get to do what you love to do and you have a passion for, and I've been doing this work for over 30 years now. With City Year, we've recently announced a, a plan to scale it to a much higher degree, and we want to triple the size of uh, the number of schools that we're in from over 300 to about 1,000, triple the size of our core from 3,000 to nearly 10,000, and reach uh, the communities that are producing over two-thirds of the urban dropouts so that we can provide what we call these student success coaches in the lives of students in high-poverty schools at scale. So you can hear in my voice, I'm still incredibly excited about just building the opportunity to put more young people in the lives of students who need them. And on the larger scale with this AmeriCorps and National Service concept, there's about 80,000 young people that get to do AmeriCorps every year. And you know us, along with many others, and yourself, Billy, have been part of this movement from the very beginning. We want to see that be a million a year and how that would transform the country. So I want to do anything I can to help build what we call that national service movement. Well, I think one of the most important uh, qualities in public life is just stubbornness and sticking with it as you have, Jason, as you have in your business, as we've tried to do at Share Our Strength, makes a big, big difference. Uh, you've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. I'm here with Michael Brown, CEO and co-founder of City Year. Michael, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Billy. And uh, Chef Jason Santos. I'm going to call you Chef Jason Santos because that's the name of your new product line, and we can't, <laughs> wait, to, we can't wait to find it in the stores. Jason, thank thanks you. for being here. Thank you for having me. As Gandhi famously said, we often have to personally be the change that we want to see in the world. So if you're ready to use not only your head, but your heart, get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Kappa who once said, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community, working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, that's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post, don't just preach. Get your hands dirty and get involved. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Kerry Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.